this is probably why I want to be part of a community. Because like when I think about like the one my, the oldest desire loops in my uh, life, it is the desire to be back in a good team. Coming to you from the deep and weird and ADHD-fueled recesses of Marshall Lichty's neocortex, this is JDHD, a podcast for lawyers with ADHD where we talk about finally getting stuff done. We help you optimize your law practice, your business, your life, and your brain. We hyper-focus on ideas, tips, and tricks for every lawyer with ADHD, whether they know they have it or not. And now, your host, a guy who once held someone's fake eyeball in his palm, Marshall Lichty. Hey, this is Marshall, and I'm so excited that you're here to listen to another episode of the JDHD Podcast. Say, this is a funny episode because long before I was diagnosed with ADHD, I had taken to the internet to find some answer to just hold it all together. And I Googled and I Googled and I Googled and I finally uncovered undoubtedly one of the most important coping mechanisms that I found uh, before my diagnosis. We're going to talk about that in a minute. But first, let's have a little update on JDHD. So first of all, I've been busy. So in January, I taught a course every single day at my undergraduate alma mater, Gustavus Adolphus College in St. Peter, Minnesota. And uh, my course was called Marketing for Startups. It was a hoot, and I really enjoyed teaching it. I had some great kids, and it really helped me clarify my worldview about marketing and marketing strategy and a whole bunch of other things. So it was lovely, and I'm deeply thankful for the opportunity to do it. Um, I've booked a couple of speaking gigs to give CLE talks to law firms and bar associations and other law organizations. And I'm super excited about that because getting this word out is really, really important. I launched a new resources page on the website, and I also launched a survey for people who might be interested in a mastermind for lawyers with ADHD. That survey is available at thejdhd.com slash mastermind hyphen survey. If you're interested in taking the survey and just giving me feedback, please do. I'm not selling anything there, but I am definitely very interested in hearing the feedback that you might have. So that's JDHD. And now we're going to turn our attention to a video game designer turned cult productivity guru, a guy who uh, believes Groundhog Day is the best holiday that the United States has to offer. And I want you to listen for what I continue to be shocked and amazed by the deep and profound insights that he offers in this interview, but also in the work that he does in his productivity tools. This is a guy who can help us all lead better lives and run better businesses. He is an investigative designer and a really, really interesting cat that I value deeply. And I can't wait for you to hear his voice. This is David Say. Hang on. David Say, thank you. Uh, for joining us on the uh, JDHD podcast. I, I really appreciate having you and uh, we will dive in later into why this is a, a big moment for me. I'm really excited to have you because uh, I've known about you for a lot longer than you've known about me. So thanks. Wow. Thanks for having me. It's really great to talk to people about a subject that's close to my heart, which is I guess getting things done with people who are outside of my field of expertise. Yeah. So your field of expertise, if, if one went digging around on the internet, someone would just say that you are a productivity expert. I think you're a lot more than that. Tell me, tell me about your journey. Well, first of all, tell me what you really do for, for, you know, 
your day job and then tell me about uh, productivity and why it is that you are widely known across the internet as a guru in the productivity space. I would say my real job, let's split this into two parts. The first part is the personal part. Why do anything at all? Why do I get up in the morning? And that is to figure out my personal truth. And I know it sounds foofy. I know it sounds maybe kind of silly to people. So like, we need to put bread on the table. But that's always what's driven me. Like, what is it that's important to me? How do things work? How does the universe work? How do people relate to each other? How do I relate to all of that? And this might come from having grown up in a variety of different cultures that I didn't feel comfortable in. So like first, like I was like an Asian American growing up in 1970s rural New Jersey, which has, you know, it's, it has certain connotations of like not quite fitting in. And then uh, when I was nine, my family moved to Taiwan and I didn't speak Chinese or Taiwanese or anything like that. So I was there for 10 years going to uh, what you, well, started out as the uh, Armed Forces School for the U.S. Army. And then I came back to the United States for college and suffered like four years of reverse culture shock. <laughs> like, so who am I has always been a question. Where do I fit in has always been a question. What I ended up doing for a living, it was um, computer stuff. But my salvation in Taiwan was like, I didn't, we lived on, we, I lived on a, on a theological seminary on top of a mountain. I was hoping you were going to get to that because that is pure gold. <laughs> so, so, so there was not a whole lot to do other than ride bikes. But after I get to be 12 or 13, riding bikes kind of got, you know, you know, can't do that like when you're like older. And so that's when the microcomputers, like the Apple II clones are starting to come out in Taiwan. So computers are my salvation for giving me something to to focus on and the other thing was writing i enjoyed writing in, in english classes in school and so forth Great. um so i ended up going to, into computers originally i went into computers because i wanted to make video games kind of long story short i went into the video game industry and so these days Hold on. Uh, let me inter- I, let me interrupt you um i've i've mentioned that i'm not much of a sports ball guy with the exception of my beloved minnesota twins but um, you did work on a famous uh, franchise, famous video franchise, if I'm not mistaken. I worked on, I used to work for EA uh, on uh, NCAA Football 99. And a bunch of college kids listening to Dave Matthews Band just rejoiced. <laughs> and at that time, you didn't even think that you could make money making video games, either as on the development side or on the on the retail side, right? Well, after, after I got out of graduate school, I went to start a video game company with my friend Mark. And so that's you know, kind of the, the path I had gone down. When our company folded, you know, then I went to EA to try to make a second career out of it. And then they discovered that, like, I don't really like the video game industry. What am I going to do now? I've worked all my life to get to this point. That was very depressing <laughs> at the time. But what I do now is I do um, JavaScript development for learning science stuff. It's just, it's just a very small, like, uh, boutique company run by a bunch of... Uh, uh, PhDs in learning science. I don't have a PhD in learning science, but I know how to code stuff. I've been working with them for a long time. And you know, my video game development experience comes in handy when making real-time graphics. Real-time graphics probably was my first passion when I was a, a kid. I'd like to see something moving at 60 frames a second. Those memories are like what I, the most visceral rem- memories that I have, I think. So if you want to see some of Dave's binary brain creativity translated into magic. Uh, We'll drop a link to that in the show notes. But in the meantime, you also have this other world that you live in, which for better or for worse, like it or not, come to develop a bit of a reputation as a productivity guru. And, And I know that you're allergic to that idea, but let me back up and just say, I have only known that I have ADHD for a short time. 
I have known for a very long time that I've had productivity issues and figuring out ways to get what's in my brain into a workable place that I can work through using a tool that I can rely on and that makes sense to me was a very hard challenge. And so very early in my legal career, I tracked down tools for this. And most of them were just, you know, unmitigated disasters, not because of the tool necessarily, but because of me. And I eventually found something that is called the Emergent Task Planner. And it has been my constant companion since then. I used to print it off. I used to print off reams of them and I would just have them on my desk. And every day I would come in and I would put one down and I would, I would plan with it. Um, I've since evolved to using it on my iPad. So I have a digital version that I use in my note-taking app. So I still handwrite it, but now it's digital. And when I'm done, I will take a screenshot and I'll save it to my phone. So it literally lives as my background image, my wallpaper. Every single day, I look at a product that you built. Oh, that's cool. And so I've had an ambient awareness of you and your productivity nerdery for a long time. And it wasn't until I realized that I do have ADHD that I knew that I needed to dive in deep into the other work that you've doing because it, that you've been doing because your brain works in a lot of ways that are supportive of mine. So what in God's name were you doing creating this thing while you're a video game de designer? Well, I was after I left the game industry, I was working in uh, digital agencies for a while. So first I did freelance interactive design because that's what my strength was at the time. I found that like you, I was working by myself all the time. And I was having difficulty motivating myself. So after a few years, I kind of got my footing and I had started doing freelance stuff. I, there was a one day, I can't remember when, I wrote about this somewhere in my blog, that I wish I had a boss. I didn't really want a boss. I certainly didn't want to pay anybody that was good because that would be expensive. That, that person would make way more than I was making. Um, so I said, well, maybe I could just make someone on paper. And so I started doing that. And at the time um, I was joining, I had become part of a, a blogging network. These were the, one of the first organized group of bloggers who were making a content stand. The idea that content is king, the idea that quality content is, is worth pursuing. You know, what we call today the long reads, you know, that kind of stuff. I shared it on this network because I thought, like, I made this thing that's kind of funny. This, and this, this was not the Emergent Task Planner. This was the, uh, something I called the Concrete Goals Tracker. And essentially, it was a list of things that CEO would tell me to do. And I don't even remember what those things are anymore. Uh, I've probably internalized most of them. But it was basically a list. And it was like a, a weekly tracking form because I had all this extra room on the paper to fill in. It really made me ask what's worth doing. And this is kind of a, pers a persistent theme in my life, trying to figure out what, what is worth doing, what motivates me. Why aren't I doing anything? I say I want to be an interactive designer. I'm on my, by myself now, and it's up to me to make my own path. Why can't I self-motivate to do these things? And it was like really irritating. And, and this nagging feeling that you haven't done anything yet or built anything yet or achieved anything yet. Yeah, yeah. Because I was coming off of like you know, several failures. Like the first failure was uh, the, the video game company. Uh, or the that's the second failure. The, the first failure that I really felt bad about was like my first graduate school stint when I was in electrical engineering. And like I was way out of my depth there. I was there primarily to do software design, but it was in a, in a hardcore electrical engineering analog design research group. And I know nothing about analog <laughs> integrated circuit design. Right. So just complete misfit. Yeah. And so like I got, I felt really bad. So I, I kind of feel like I got like a, um, uh, 
a degree just to make me go away. You know, that's because <laughs> there was nothing that I, I feel that I really earned about that. Well, in the ADHD world, by the way, we call that uh, either imposter syndrome on steroids or the itty bitty shitty committee. You might be right that you didn't do anything to deserve your degree, but you also might be wrong. Just FYI. Yeah, it wasn't a good fit. You know, certainly socially, culturally. The second stint was I went to, went actually went to art school. So I went to get my fine arts degree in computer graphics. Because like when I was in the previous graduates program. All important because you eventually ended up with your butt in the right seat, which was uh, art school and uh, working on, on graphics and making things beautiful. But before that, you were talking about sort of failures and, and we were talking about this nagging feeling that you had that you hadn't achieved anything. Yeah, yeah. And this might be a good time to just step back for a minute because you've, you've said you, you really let out from the beginning. You never set yourself on the course of becoming a productivity person. Um, when I hear you talk about yourself and about sort of what you're trying to do, a lot of times it has to do just with what you said about self-discovery. Who are you? What are you, what are you meant to be? When are you your best self? Sort of some of these questions about figuring out your role in the world and, and learning things and then sharing it back with the world. And that has really resonated with me because I think mm. what we see in your work is not so much a productivity is this and this is how you do it download my thing for a hundred dollars. It is, yep. I'm on a journey to get better at this stuff and I'm curious about it. I'm designing tools. I'm running experiments. And yes, then when I have output and I've seen your beta versions, I've seen, you know, I've seen version one, version two, version three, before you even, you know, before you make them really very public, you are sharing and being vulnerable and saying, here's kind of where I am with this. This is the, this is what I'm toying around with. And it takes you, you, you invest so much time and energy into this process of discovery, and then you have dedicated yourself to sharing it, oftentimes for free. So not a productivity guru, but a productivity scientist, an investigator. Yeah, I, I used to call myself an investigative designer uh, because I like the idea of having like, you know, kind of like a, one of those um, film noir type doors and you know, I'd be sitting there with my desk and the light would be streaming into the side window and I would be you know, like, <laughs> like smoking a cigar or something like that. Um, but it, it really described the kind of design that I did. You know, a lot of times when you think like graphic designer or visual designer, you're thinking of someone who's good at ornamentation. And that's not the kind of designer I am. I'm not very good at that. <laughs> what I am good as the other part of which what we would call information design now or UX design. But I'm good at taking an idea, breaking it down, and uh, figuring out how they all should relate to each other visually. And it turns out like that communications aspect is what's more interesting to me than like you know, maybe making a video game. Yeah, I would say that I, I just I tend to think of myself more as a personal development writer, but I, I but I try not to frame it in terms of of like, you, sh you can feel good about yourself. I, I'm sort of taking that as a given. You already feel good about yourself. You already want to feel good about yourself. You don't need my help for that. What always bothered me when I was trying to learn things is I could not find succinct information that said, this is what this is supposed to do. This is how it's supposed to do it. This is how it works. Here's an example. Try it. This is what you should see. And like, it's still like this. It's even worse these days on the internet. Like you cannot find someone that says something like the dog walked down the street. One thing that I love that you've said to me is that productivity is the means to live your values, right? Productivity is not an end in and of itself. It's an opportunity to figure out how you want your life to be lived and to make sure that your days 
are built around that. So say more about how someone can use productivity to live their values. Well, the first thing that comes to mind, this might be just overall process, is to ask the question, well, what are what do we mean by that? What are my values? And then I have to ask myself what's important to me. And what's important to me will be, of course, different than what's important to you. So this is I had to translate this into my my own terms. What's important to me is after 15 or so years of thinking about it, is I don't want to be bored. And to not be bored, I need money. And to have money, I need to actually do things. And to do things that actually have meaning, that means other people have to see them. That means I have to share them and I have to share them effectively. And not only the things that I share have to be shared effectively, they have to be legitimately valuable to other people in the way that they can perceive it. And at the same time, there's a desire to connect with other people who appreciate such things. Because that is not boring if you're around people who appreciate the things that you appreciate and even riff off of them. And so, so, so I would make something and they say, like, oh, that's really interesting. That helped me out do this, this thing. We should talk and have coffee sometime and talk about other things that aren't boring. So if I were to be absolutely selfish and just express it in terms of I don't want to be bored, that's what drives me. It's not, it's not so much like, oh, I want to make a contribution to humanity. That would be a nice side effect of what I'm doing. But if I'm absolutely honest with myself, I don't like being bored. I don't like being feeling trapped. I don't like feeling that I have no options. I don't like feeling that I don't have the freedom to do anything that I want. And, and maybe this is an ADHD thing. I don't know. You can tell me. You're listening to JDHD, a podcast for lawyers with ADHD with Marshall Lichty. Well, what I was going to say, I mean, what I think the logical link here is that in, in a lot of ways, it sounds like you've built a life around yourself that's very ADD or ADHD friendly, meaning you have these systems and tools that are driven by, I can't, you know, it's not that I'm going to forget my keys. I'm not worried about forgetting my keys because I literally don't take my keys out of my pocket because if I do, they're going to be gone. And so I've built a system where I don't let things impact me um, in, in such a way. And that is what allows you to be efficient or productive or to make sure that you're spending your time in a way that is additive and lets you do the work that keeps you entertained and sort of your highest and best use. And that's, that's, I think why what you create resonates with folks in the ADHD crowd. So you had mentioned just a second ago about people riffing on your work. And I want to, I want to take that thread for a second, because what's interesting about your work is to me, I mean, it has literally been a life-saving set of tools for me and that has value to people and rather, and and I don't mean to suggest that monetizing it is bad, but I think it is reflective of your perspective on this. When you say, have this for free and Take it. Here's the, you know, here's the source document. Use it. Live with it. Give me feedback. We see your name on. Um, it's very common for people in the ADHD community to say, Dave has it figured out. Follow this tool. Dave has it figured out. Check this blog post. Um, you give back into the community, maybe without being intentional about it, but then those folks riff on it and they're writing blog posts about it or they're implementing that in their practices. I know that many ADHD practitioners around the country use your tools to help coach and give therapy to their clients because, um, like you said, that user experience or that user-focused design allows our ADHD brains to compartmentalize things in important ways. And so if I, if I can be so bold to help connect that link between you being bored and why you resonate with the ADHD community and folks who are on the hunt for productivity, I think it is that. I think you've approached it in a way where you are generous and shareful 
and have encouraged people to use it and riff on it and grow and um, and then share it back into the community. Yeah. Well, let me ask you a question. Why do you think I would ever want to do that? Well, part of being curious about your own productivity and your own role in the world is a lot of reflection. And you've made a comment to me about how at first you thought you needed to do that on your own and that you've realized that community is an important part of that. And I think part of building a community or being with people to sort of optimize your world has to do with vulnerability and sharing. And so what I suspect is that doing it on your own and for yourself was an interesting experiment that when it started to leak out, the community saw it and said, you are not alone. You are, you, your brain works the way mine does and your brain, you thinking this way, you creating this way helps me too. Um, and I think that experience of not being alone uh, is good for all of us. So maybe that's my reflection on it. That certainly would resonates with like my current thinking, you know, like kind of going back to like the, the way they design the forms. That's really coming from, um, that's the video game designer in me. As a video game designer, we're very careful about not creating, creating a feedback loop that doesn't diminish you too much. There's this idea that comes from game design and I incorporate it in the concrete goals tracker is that uh, you don't want to double punish somebody. And like as an, someone who, who suspects they have ADHD or has a challenge doing things, you're already feeling bad. There's no need to track reasons that you should be feeling bad. So mm. I don't know if you've noticed this in my form design, but what I, we track is things that are done. We do not track things. We, we try not to track things that aren't done. And if there are things that aren't done, the language on the forms themselves says it's all right for that. This is the part of the process. You know, the one reason, the, the main reason that I share what I'm doing and it's in perfection isn't to build community, isn't to monetize it. It's because there are so few examples of the reality of how hard it is to do these things, how long it takes to do these things. Well, we see media when we read the, read the internet and you, you open a web browser, you see a thousand amazing things that people have done that day. And you look at what you've done. I screwed up making my cup of coffee, you know, and like, you know, on the thousand amazing things have happened. You forget that those thousand amazing things took those people 10 years to do. And you, all you see is like, I'm falling behind, I'm falling yep. behind, I'm falling behind. And that demotivating emotion is prevents you from doing anything. So I share what I do and I try to share how I feel because that's relatable. And I share, this is what I'm doing. And I try to remind myself, particularly in more recent years, that this stuff takes time and I need energy to do this. And so, Figuring out where the energy is going to come from to get through those difficult moments. I mean, this, this is why I blog. I think. I mean, it's always been it's always been important to me to be authentic and sharing. Like, I'm not this amazing designer. I'm not a guru. This is why I hate the whole guru thing. I don't have the answers to these things. These are experiments that have worked for me. Maybe you'll like them too. In a way, I'm sort of sharing. I don't really think of it as making myself vulnerable. I think of it as like just being real about it, and that's. That's really important, the expression of that truth of, of this human condition of trying to want to do something but not quite being able to do it. That's for some reason, I don't know why this is. It's super important to me. And probably it's because it's like this probably goes back to childhood when like I didn't know how to order a pizza when it came back to the to the United States because I had never had to order a pizza as a conscious living person before. And like because my parents spoke Taiwanese to each other all the time, um, I had no idea how to call plumber. I had no idea how taxes worked. I had no idea how a lot of life things work. And I was always confused and always uncertain about the best way of doing things. And not only that, I was a huge fat nerd. 
And like, you know, I loved like computers, which back in the 1980s wasn't cool. You know, I kind of wanted to play D&D, but, you know, I didn't know anyone who wanted to play it because that was frowned upon. And so there was always a sense like, you know, I can't be who I, I want to be and or I would suppress myself. I'm also trans. So that's something that I'm coming out with to come to terms with now as well. What does that mean? Like, oh, this is the last thing I wanted to, to deal with. I just, just, just when I was getting everything figured out, there's this whole other thing that's, that's popping out of this. But yeah, to share the, the struggle realistically and then to, to be able to provide tools that calm ourselves and remind ourselves this stuff takes time. Um, you had to find your own way. You can track these things and react to them. And let's not make it so you had to do any kind of double entry or punish yourself by doing these things. The big secret with productivity systems is you can follow any of them and they work so long as you keep following them. There's plenty of people doing that. I felt no need to like to monetize or sell systems like that. What was important to me was to express that truth of the experience. Well, and what I love about that experience that really resonates with me and I think will with a lot of lawyers, particularly those with ADHD, is you know, we, we grow up in an environment where our value is literally reduced to the number of hours that we bill or minutes that we bill on a task. It is um, there is a there is a uh, coercive element of tracking your time and then saying this is the output, right? It is how long did it take you to build that thing, which feels very different than what you just said, right? You're tracking it in an, in a way that is meant to be reflective, that's meant to be honest and true, that's meant to be. Yeah, um, yeah. And like I think I I've, I should mention that back in the late '90s, early 2000s, a lot of my thinking was driven by. Uh, doing production for video games, which is like, you know, very deadline oriented. You have your manufacturing date. You miss a manufacturing date, you've screwed, you know, so because uh, they had to press CD raw masters. It has to be bug free. There's no downloading patches or anything like that. If it, you, and so it's really stressful. And after that, working in digital agencies, like, you know, we had budgets, we had deadlines. Um, and so the way I tended to approach creating things, which was, you know, graphics or code or interactivity was really by how long is it going to take me to do this to get a good product that the client likes and that they're going to pay us on time for. And so I had very much what I would call the manager mindset, you know, especially when I started doing the productivity thing, because I was thinking like, I have all these things to do. I should be able to like, I have no problem doing this in the context of another company track 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 you know be accountable and, to a but, boss or to a deadline or to a whatever i was the boss but when i became my own boss working by myself all that motivation to keep track of stuff vanished and it was yeah. mysterious it was like aggravating and this is when i started like you know, looking into like you know what are some better ways of doing this and started like really examining all right so what's different between the context i had before and the context i had now what are the pros of the old situation and the pros of the, the current one i was doing the same project breakdown that i would do for everything like at the time it was only like, I'm going to guess at least five years until I realized that the, it wasn't so much of a mechanical procedural issue. It was really more of a, of a kind of a personal heart type issue. What I would really like to do, because I mean, again, I know you're allergic to the idea of being a productivity guru and I, and I don't know that that's where we need to elevate you, but I do want to talk about some of the tools because they're useful and there are going to be people who want to touch on them. We don't need to do a deep dive into what uh -huh. each one of them does. You've written blog posts about them. They're, you know, they're available and, and, you know, easily tracked uh -huh. and found. But what I would like to do maybe before we dive into kind of just what they are and what they're intended to do, what is 
in your view, after these experiments and where you are right now, what are some of the keys to your productivity journey? What are some of the keys? What are some of the things that you know about when you are at your most productive or doing your most and best work at your highest use? Hmm. How do I know when I'm most productive? I mean, what, one of them that I know you've said elsewhere is tricking yourself into action, right? Like sort of tricking your brain or or creating systems or tools or processes or habits that allow you to just jump into action, come what may, even if it's a boring task or an exciting task. Sometimes you need just a catalyst to jump in. So how do I measure productivity in the old manager style way? It would be based on the deliverable. What is it I have that's in a shareable way? And this you know ties in with the very first form I made, the concrete goals tracker. And like this has a point system in it that at the very top, the 10 most, the most valuable things were I shipped something. I made something. I should, and I made it, and then I showed it to someone because it didn't have any meaning until you had showed it to someone because that completes the loop to the universe. Otherwise, that's just theoretical, like stuff floating around your head. Yep. And then the other thing was like, did I break down? Did I eliminate uncertainty? A lot of times, uncertainty is what prevents me anyway from doing things. Like I don't have enough information to make a decision. And sometimes, like if you're not used to training yourself through, say, like the only way to certainty is through the uncertainty, mm. uh, you end up staying on that side of things and you never get the data you need to make actually make a decision. And so I would say, like, if I'm making decisions, like be based on good data that I've acquired, um, which means I've learned something, something fundamental, or if it, and I've, I've delivered something. And if I've done that, like, once a day, that would be incredible if I could do that once a day. Right. But sometimes you can't do it. Sometimes it takes days to get through the uncertainty, particularly with programming these days. I mean, there's like so much, so much crap that's out there that you have to weed through to get to the good stuff that it's largely sifting through nuggets of like, that looks like it's, it might be useful. Oh, no, that's, that's from 2017. It's out of date now. <laughs> that doesn't work anymore or you know, stuff like that. Yep. So it comes down to maybe a third pillar of being productive yep. is do I have can I look at my system of of nuggets garnished, created, delivered, and understood? And can I see how that leads to a sustainable, persistent process of producing the thing again? So there, there's two L, two ways to look at tasks that are on my list. If I if I think of productivity as getting through the tasks that are on my strategic goals list, the first thing is like, do I already know how to do it? Yes, that's an easy optimization productivity problem because you already know. Most of the time, there are things I don't know how to do. Yep. And acknowledging that and then coming up with experiments or ways to break through the uncertainty to find those small steps that help build uncertainty and build that process to design that's known, you know, that's an important building thing. But it is a prerequisite for being able to produce the deliverables that you want. And that maintaining one's morale yep. in that process is something I've only really become aware of as being much more important than I thought it was. Particularly because there's no outcome in that. There's no outcome in learning, right? It's very hard to look at a list and say, um, I read, I, first of all, I did that sifting. I was able to sift out a thousand things that suck. I was able to find four that are important. I spent a lot of time with them. I learned from those. Yeah. And now I have to take that and convert it into something no. actionable or something beautiful or something deliverable. And, and, and you don't get credit for that. You don't get credit for the homework. This is probably why I want to be part of a community. Because like when I think about like the, one, my, the oldest desire loops in my uh, life, it is the desire to be back in a good team. The last time I was in a really great team was in high school when it was me and two other friends 
who were trying to figure out how computers worked. And every day we'd come back from home and said, like, I figured this out. And we would show each other and we would learn from that. That loop, that creative loop and discovery loop and being able to appreciate, like, I figured out how to do this thing. And people be going like, that was, that's amazing. Like, and like, I've learned from that. And this is what I did. I said, that's amazing. How did you ever think about that? That creative loop to create something that was bigger than ourselves. That was what I've been missing for a long time. Well, and that loop really resonates. I mean, partly because I know that um, you've done work to do that. Uh, I'm interested in the virtual co-working community that you're mm-hmm. sort of invested in right now, spending time and energy there, building that community, but not in a traditional co-working space, but in a virtual one. Um, and it, and it does ha- seem to have a lot of those elements working side by side, sharing successes. Um, here's what I figured out hearing from people in different, you know, verticals, different, uh, expertises, different industries. Uh, and that sounds fascinating. Mm-hmm. I want to touch back on it, but before we do, I want to say that there's a lot in that when you say, I want to be back in a great team mm-hmm. that I think will resonate with lawyers here. A lot of our audience is solo lawyers or small firm lawyers. Hmm. And even regardless of how big our law firms get, there's this sense that you are your own law practice. You have to start your projects from start to finish. You think about a project or a case or a matter on your own, sort of in a, in a, in a bubble hmm. without a ton yeah. of feedback or external input. There isn't a lot of vulnerability in sharing. There certainly hmm. isn't this you know euphoric opportunity at the end of a day hmm. to say, do you know what I figured out today? Boom, this is it. Uh, And so that sharing tends to be absent. And so what I do think is that a lot of lawyers are hungry for a community in that same sense, and they might not know why. But I love the idea that that creative loop and that discovery loop, being a part of a healthy community and businesses, law firms, or any other kind of organization are communities. And if your community is not giving space for that creativity loop or that discovery loop, it might be that your community isn't actually functioning very much like a community at all. Right, right. right. Yeah. I can think of a lot of dysfunctional communities that um, it's really about, you know, measuring body parts and sees which ones, who has the biggest one or right. who, has, <laughs> who knows the most about this stat or. Or which know, fungible unit of production is producing well today and which one is not. Yeah. And it's not really about the moving, moving everybody forward. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's a, that's a say. Um, say briefly just a little bit about uh, the Discord community. Oh, okay. So um, I started this virtual community online, and it was kind of grew out of experiments I was doing with YouTube and I was playing around with live streaming. I just set it up and just posted on my blog that I'm doing this thing, and then to my great surprise, someone popped up into it that said that they had been watched, they'd been reading me for a long time. They thought they would check it out, and then she was from New Zealand. <laughs> and hey, Strudel, if you're listening to this. Uh, and that she stayed. And then another person from the Netherlands asked me like, like if I was making any more of those very long, boring um, co-working videos I was posting on YouTube. I was, I was literally just coding and muttering to myself on it. People kept popping into the chat room one by one over time until we had like a small number of regulars. And for some reason, like just having the chat room there and just and like I know enough about SEO, and there was no one really writing about virtual coworking at the time. So I made an article on a keyword of the, the crap out of that. And people f- keep discovering it through this and popping up. And it's not to everyone's taste. It's much like my blog. My blog appeals maybe only to, I would say, half of a percent of the people who hit it. But that half percent 
Like, stick around. The other half, they say it's, there's too much stuff to read and they just go away. They don't even leave a snarky uh, comment because it was too boring to get through the whole thing for them. Yeah, because it's like, oh, I'm already bored. And they just leave. Like, I just want to yell at someone. Well, let me say, so first of all, um, if you if you, if you are one of the half percent, first of all, I think it's higher than that. Um, and I think that there that there is a, a pretty significant overlap between um, the cohort of people who traditionally like your stuff and lawyers. Mm-hmm. I think there's a brain chemistry thing going on that uh, lends itself to the type of work you do being attractive. But anyway, if you go to this website and find that it's lots of words, there are also some, also some incredible tools in there. And so if you just need to go leave a really snarky comment to Dave at the bottom, great, do that. But then go download the tools and start goofing around with them because um, there is gold in there. And um, so maybe what I want... and so. Maybe leave comments, maybe read the entire blog, maybe join the Discord, maybe think about virtual co-working, maybe think about community. But for sure, let's spend just a minute talking about some of the other tools. Our website, thejdhd.com, makes this podcast possible. Sign up for a completely free 10-day email course, introducing you to ADHD for lawyers at thejdhd.com slash course. So we've talked about um, the uh, Concrete Goals Tracker task progress tracker, the emergent task planner, the daily grid balancer. Tell me about what, what these are meant to do. Tell me maybe just in a couple of words, what do we do with a task progress tracker? I get the sense that this is really built around um, what we've already talked about, which is I have a big task. Instead of thinking about that task as a box on a to-do list that needs to be checked off, I'm going to spend, um, I'm going to track the amount of work that goes into getting that box checked off. This is, I have a task I'm going to build my progress uh, and track it and pay attention to it. Yeah, the the, um, the way I ta- described the task progress tracker, it's instead of a to-do list, it is I d- an, an I did list. And it allows you to break down the things that you need to have ahead of, of you, but it allows you to track the time you spent and see that matters rather than having like you know, the tyrannical checkbox at the end of it. It's a way of designing a to-do list so you can see that you're doing something and it builds up over time. So this is a general feature of like a lot of the visual design that I do. As you make a mark, it actually generates a report as you're going without having to run a separate thing or even or, or add numbers because I hate that. <laughs> you see a mark, you see a lot of marks, that's good. You don't see a lot of marks, well, that's bad. And it is not an argument in favor of the idea that to-do lists are bad or to, to-do lists don't work. It's an argument in favor of Let's make sure that to-do lists are relegated to the right kinds of stuff, right? Reminders, I need to go to the grocery store, here are the things I need to buy. Or when you think about the checklist manifesto, right? Being a, an airline pilot or a surgeon, having a checklist that says, make sure that you're cutting the right leg off, that can be a checklist. But if you're thinking about creative work or unknown work or a project of unknown duration or unknown depth, tracking it in a different way, I think, is really a, an insightful and and powerful way to approach it. Yeah, yeah, it's um, that's a lot. I've heard that anecdotally, people use the TPT for um, actually handing out assignments to people. So they'll they'll break down like this is the task you're supposed to do. These are the things that we think are involved with it, and these are the estimates of time we think it's going to take for this. So this, I had made this when I was still very much coming out of the production like mentality management mentality of things. And this is the nuts and bolts of what a lot of folks with ADHD are bad at, mm-hmm. right? In my view, being a lawyer is really about project management. A matter or a case is really a project. And a lawyer, a good one, is a project manager. Mm-hmm. And you figure out what your dependencies are. You figure out what your tasks are and your subtasks. 
you figure out what of it is repeatable and automatable and delegable and all of those things. Mm -hmm. And you set some deadlines and timelines and you work back from it. Well, turns out the folks with ADHD are like really, really bad at that. Mm -hmm. We're bad at estimating time. We're bad at taking the time in the moment to actually create a list and think through what those dependencies are or think through what we can delegate or think through, you know, how long it's going to take to do that first step or is there a part in here that we can automate? And so one thing I love about this tool is literally it forces folks with ADHD to think about their work as task as project management and um, gives them a tool to help start breaking it down and leverage your creativity, Mm -hmm. but make sure you dump it into a spot right now that can be useful later. That might be an interesting way of describing all of my tools. Like there are tools of breaking down a problem in a certain way so you can see it from a certain angle. And and it's that blindness that I think is what hampers folks with ADHD. It is not the creativity. Yeah. Yeah. It's the capturing of the creativity and it's the capturing of a process by which to bring the creativity out and maximize its presence Mm -hmm. in your project that Mm -hmm. we struggle with. Um, yeah. And and then you beat your head against the wall when you say, man, at one point I had a great plan for how this was going to go. And now it's three months later and I haven't really right. made progress on it because it just disappeared from me. And and if you can use tools to help you do that at the mm-hmm. beginning, um, I, I think you can break it up in, in really meaningful ways. So yeah. that's maybe a good segue to the Emergent Task Planner, which um, is different than the same. Tell about Talk about the Emergent Task Planner. Uh, the Emergent Task Planner is a mashup of all the previous forms in a way. This is not a this is not a form I designed by myself. It's a design a form that came out because someone asked for it. Uh, probably someone with ADHD. Uh, the idea is there's, there's three areas. The one area is like a, a layout of all the time for the day, and then on the right side is sort of like a mini uh, task progress tracker form, in which you can write down the things that you think you can do this day, and then you can track some time in it if that's a necessary thing, and then you. Because it's a single sheet for the day, you actually can see what blocks of time you have available visually and then fit in something from the list on the right. So in my perspective, it gives you two kinds of views of the day, uh, the things I want to do and the time I have available. And because they're both in the same piece of paper, we can think on the paper. We can see, do I have time to do this? I thought this took four hours when I wrote this down in the morning. Well, let me do this thing first. There's, there's a, you have a choice in there. Like you can... You, it's deliberately limited to a certain number of tasks. Like I generously provided nine because although I never get nine done. Right? <laughs> Very generously. <laughs> so um, some people just like three. And, but it still gives you enough choice, I think. I think this might, I did deliberately design it with this way, but I think this is important for people with ADHD is that you get to choose the thing to work on next. And I think it does it in a way that's not very judgmental. The language prompts on it are, are trying to, to remind you to be nice to yourself at the same yes. time. Well, and critically, the other thing that it does is um, it does build in choice, but it still limits your choice to an, a small-ish number, right? It it says, you should get these three things done. These are your three most important things. Here are a couple more. These ones you're probably not going to get to, but if you want to put them down here, great. And then as you go through the day, you can kind of meander. But it is not a 700-item-long you know, long list that just feels absolutely unstartable and overwhelming and oppressive and cruel. Um, and, and I love that too. And, and I love the way that you talk about it. It's almost as though it's personified in the sense that it's talking to us. It's saying, we're, we're, we're in this together, kid, let's do this. Here's what you're trying to do. And I'm going to, I'm here to help you. Let's, let's put it over. Let's block some time over here. 
Let's put it on a list over here. Let's make some freehand notes down here. So I really like that. Let's make ADHD easier. Law is hard enough. And then you've got a couple of others and, and maybe we don't have to go into detail or maybe we can, but um, you've got the concrete goals tracker. You've got um, the manual Gantt chart. Yeah. Let me, let me just run through them quickly. Like, like the concrete goal tracker, like you pick what's important to you. There's a limited list of things that actually move your business forward and it scores you on points. So you see how many points you can get during the day and then through the week. If you're doing the things on the list, which is specific, specific to your industry, you are doing well in your business. You're booking, you're cashing checks, you're getting meeting, can you business, but you're also doing things like you're sending emails, you're following up things, you're making promotion, you're con- keeping contact with people constantly. These are all the things that are fundamental to running a freelance business and to a lot of other ones. The compact calendar, this is a form that I designed just so I could communicate in person with people at meetings and say, this is the dates that are important. Let's circle them. There are, it's one continuous block of time, so you can actually estimate visually how much time do I have. And and again, great for people who, like most ADHers, um, are time optimists, and they might say, "Oh, I think this is the date." And when you visualize, you're like, "Oh, wait, that is not the date." We got. Yeah, I used to print a bunch of these out and just have them available in our meeting rooms, just so we could like, just have them. Because otherwise, talking about dates in a meeting is kind of a fuzzy thing. You, you don't really have a sense of it. The um, Let's yes. see. The uh, emergent task timer is sort of the opposite of the emergent task planner in that whereas the emergent task planner, you are intentful about what you want to do. The emergent task timer tells you where all your time went. <laughs> so this is, this is, I'm told, like popular with some grad student advisors because you wonder, like you spend all day in the research group and nothing seems to have gone done. So this forces you to just write down the stuff you want to do at the top and then the stuff that just happened, you start filling it in from the bottom. So you get a sense of like where your time actually went because you're supposed to have a timer going off every 15 minutes to write down what you were actually doing and fill in the appropriate time bubble. And so this has been used also for people who are in very um, chaotic environments and they want to show their boss, this is the number of interruptions I've been having. Yep. Like, this is what you told me to do, but this is what everyone else is doing. And so this allows them to to do that. It's a good diagnostic. Tool. Yeah. And, and, and just a, you know, sort of editorial comment on that. This is a, this is a challenge that plagues uh, lawyers. We have good data on the cost of an interruption. So for example, we know that the cost of an interruption is about 23 minutes. So if you're in work mm. and you get pulled out of it, it's going to take you 23 minutes to get back. You can't afford very many of those in a day. Right, and on right. average we have six or seven, and those are for people who are generally pretty careful about the amount of, interruptions they get. Um, You also have people who, um, you know, are churning administrative tasks and they think they just spend a little bit of time on it, but they look at the end of the week and they say, where in the hell did all my billable time go? And it's gone and they can't figure it out. And Mm -hmm. they said, well, it only took me probably 20 minutes to send out those bills, but in fact, you know, but in fact it took an hour and a half. We have good data on that. We know that on average that the uh, solo or small firm lawyer probably bills only about two hours a day, which you know, that might be great if you're in charge of six hours worth of administrative tasks or marketing or sales or whatever. But if you are the sole producer of legal work and you're only spending two hours of it um, a day and you look at your billables every month, it might be the case that you are not optimizing your time. And this is a way to figure out. Um, and w- again, without bludgeoning you, it's not a tool to, to kick your ass or judge you. It's a tool to say, wait a minute, did I really take 20 minutes on that? Is it true? 
is there data to back it up? And, and, and that's why I love that tool. Yeah, yeah. This is the one form that like, I became aware of that lawyers had six-minute billable times because like, a couple of them had contacted me about it because the original one is in 15-minute increments. Right, right. So there is a six-minute increment version of it someplace. Uh, oh, there is. Uh, that would actually be super useful because almost all lawyers bill in six-minute increments, and we can drop that in the show notes too. Yeah, let me see if I can find it. Or I'll make a special version for you, resurrect it. Wow. Yeah. I mean, um, by the way, Dave has been kind enough to uh, create a landing page on his website uh, at David Say, D A V I D S E A H dot com slash JDHD. So if you want to go there, he's going to have some stuff there for us. I will also have a bunch of links in the show notes to make sure you can grab all this stuff uh, when the time is right. Mm hmm. Uh, so the other things are things like the Daygrid Balancer, which is an experiment just to try to work life balance stuff. So it's really fun. Go play with it because it's really interesting. But here's the title. Satisfying things I want to do this week, damn it. And then it's been toned down a little bit for you know public consumption. But that's how it started, and it's awesome. There are two versions. One says damn it. The other one does not. For like a Christian pastor like said that he liked the form, but he wished he didn't say that. So I made a version for him. <laughs> Uh, there's the task order up, which is a product in the cart. It's like a ticket. It's, it was inspired by restaurant order checks. So they had the check rail. And so you write down like kind of what the order of the day was. And it was one project per thing. Uh, and you could put them up and show what you're working on. So people around you would see, oh, they're like, you know, she's working on these three tasks. And my task is all the way on the right. And she's doing the ones that are starting from the left. Would you do me a favor and educate, um, folks about what a Gantt chart is and why it might be useful? A Gantt chart is a way of visualizing how much time a set of tasks will take to complete a project. It is a two-dimensional grid that lists the tasks to be done on the left and horizontally to the right, or at least in the version that I make. It shows you the days when things start. So you can see when something starts and when something ends. You can see when things are simultaneously happening. You can see when things are supposed to come together. Um, it's a very typical um, way that project management software will manage projects, particularly ones that are have multiple teams working at the same time. I hated most project management software that I've used because it's ugly. I hate I hate ugly things. Yes, and so obviously, like, so I made like a, an Excel version of it. So it, essentially, it doesn't do any of the Gantt tracking software. Real Gantt soft man, project management software will track time, or sum up hours, where you can move things around. But it almost, they almost all do that in a very poor and cumbersome way. Well, and folks with ADHD stop doing them because they want to do it perfectly and then they stop and they're like, well, I'm terrible at doing using Gantt charts and so that's dumb and I, I should stop. But this is, again, as with all things, Dave say, is a gentle prod. It's a gentle encouragement. It's a, it's a conversation with yourself that says, this is a task. And if you think about it in a certain way, you can reduce it onto this form into a way where you can really visualize it. So for example, if you're making dinner, um, you know, dinner starts not when you uh, turn on the oven, it starts when you think about what the menu will be. And maybe you have to go to the grocery store and maybe your, um, your spouse or your partner is involved in this process. And maybe he or she uh, will go to the market while you go to the grocery store. And then when you're actually in the kitchen, there's somebody who's setting the table at the same time that you're, um, you know, sauteing some onions and a, a Gantt chart lets you create those dependencies and those timelines in a way that makes it visual. Uh, and so again, for people who uh, may have a hard time visualizing pro uh, projects in their yep. head, um, this can be a great tool. And again, remember, 
Practicing law literally is project management. So this is the kind of tool that can help you visualize your job. Yeah. It's also great at Thanksgiving when you're cooking all these things at the same time and only have four burners on your oven. <laughs> so I, actually, I make a Gantt chart every year for my Thanksgiving dinner. That's how nerdy I am. Well, there's a live. Okay, here's how I want to wrap up. We're going to wrap up because we're running out of time. I could do this all day. This has been magnificent. But uh, And we haven't even talked about your hypothesis that you might maybe have ADHD and how it doesn't even matter because um, you don't, you're not looking for the label. You're looking for um, you know, a, a scaffolding around yourself that makes it not matter. Um, and, and maybe someday we'll have that conversation in person or in the Discord or elsewhere. But until then, um, I want you to say words. There's a lively debate in my world about whether or not Thanksgiving is the best holiday or the 4th of July. Uh, and most of the people who have the wrong opinion aren't listening to this. I mean, Thanksgiving Day obviously is is one of the better holidays, although I think you have a different opinion on what the best holiday is. Oh, are you talking about Groundhog Day? Damn right I am. Tell me more. Well, I like Groundhog Day because it's eroded predicting the future. And that's the kind of bizarre thing that I find amusing and maybe believe in just a little bit. Maybe it's true. Plus, there's that great movie that came out. I started doing my um, yearly resolutions on Groundhog Day on February 2nd because on January 1st, I'm too tired to actually make any decisions about the year. It takes about a month to clean up after the previous year, like if you're running a business and stuff. So February 2nd and then... Because like there's that pattern two two, I decided to do reviews on the third of the third month, which is March third, April fourth, May fifth, so forth until December twelfth. And so I used that as a way of remembering just when to do the reviews. And that's all the Groundhog Day resolution system is. But I've been doing it for this is my thirteenth year of doing it and writing about it on the blog. And uh, it's kind of fascinating to me and amazing that I've kept with it because I have, I have a track of all of my strategic goal planning and failures going back for 13 years in written form. Um, it's like it's easily a thousand or more pages of stuff that I had to go through at some point. That's amazing. But, but holidays, I, I love that data. I love the work that you've done. I love the habit. I love the ritual. But, but that really is what holidays are. Holidays are about um, a day that we pick on a calendar and then we build rituals around them and we build habits around them and they resonate with us or they don't. And um, one thing I can tell you for sure resonates with me is the idea that when January 1st runs around, um, the idea of building a new habit, the idea of creating a resolution that has any shot of surviving is, I mean, it's, there's, there's no chance of it. And so buying yourself a month by celebrating Groundhog Day resolutions instead of New Year's Day resolutions um, is just tactically a brilliant strategy. Never mind the idea that we are doing everything over and over again. And the idea of building habits is a one day at a time sort of a thing. And the other thing that I would say that's relevant to ADHD years is I've heard this quote, and I, I don't have any um, you know real data to back it up, but they say that for people with ADHD, it takes us 10 times as long to develop a habit and one-tenth as long to break it. And if that is true, we need all the help we can get when it comes to creating habits and creating you know, rituals. And that's why I love the Groundhog Day uh, ritual that you've created. Yeah. You've just made me realize that maybe part of the ADHD thing for me is that I'm actually like I'm in the movie because I keep seeing, I have the same goals every year and nothing ever seems to happen. It's just like the freaking movie. <laughs> What I want to encourage you to do is reflect at least every once in a while on the impact that you've had on the world, intentionally or not, to make money or to um, develop a personal brand or to become a productivity guru. Uh, all that stuff aside, 
the work that you have done, the way that your brain works, the investigations you've invested in, the design work that you have done, all of these things are impacting communities beyond your own immediate space there in New Hampshire. They're resonating well beyond New Hampshire. They're resonating well beyond video game design and graphic design and um, you know interactive, creative work. And they're touching even some of the most staid and conservative professions in the world like law. And for that, I want to um, thank you and again, encourage you to know that these tools really do change people's lives. And that's why I want to make sure that I encourage everybody to um, visit Dave. You can find him on his website at David say D A V I D S E A H dot com. You can go to the backslash J D H D. If you want to take a peek at that landing page um, and you can find him elsewhere, you can find him in his discord. He is nominally on uh, a couple of other places too, but I think the website and the discord are the, the two best places. David, uh, any other places to, uh, to, you know, to meet with people or have them reach out to you and any other uh, insights and, and bits of brilliance that we didn't touch on? Yeah, um, you can at me at Twitter or on Instagram. But yeah, it's the Discord, the website. And uh, really, like if you're interested in anything that I'm doing, I would love to hear about it. Like I have not, I get very little feedback by anything. It's fascinating to me to hear that there are people in the ADH community that are following my work and therapists and cons- counselors are using it because none of them have contacted me. Maybe one, one person has mentioned it to me. So if they're using this stuff, like I would love to hear that you're doing this because that helps me tune what I'm doing. Right. And that's the part that resonates with me is that idea that you've built these systems to encourage communication, encourage reflection, encourage growth, encourage refinement. And um, we want to be a part of that. So, um, Dave, I, I can't thank you enough. It really has been a pleasure and an honor. And I, um, you know, it was on a whim that I reached out to you on Twitter and said, hey, I'm, I'm doing a thing. Would you be willing to pop in? And he said, yeah, I'd do that. And, um, you know, that uh, it shows uh, humility and, uh, and, and some other things that I'm not sure I can be even put words to, but I'm deeply thankful for it. And I've enjoyed our conversation very much. I have too. Thank you so much for reaching out. And like, you're doing some awesome stuff here too. Looking forward to seeing where this goes. Well, thanks Dave. And uh, make sure you go find Dave. And he says he's not asking for money and he's not, which is why you should just buy it anyway. Thanks Dave. Thank you. So that was David Say. And like I said, in the lead in, this is a guy who's penchant for and passion for investigative design will benefit all of us. And I think you heard it in his voice. He has created tools that allow us all to lead lives that are more intentional and really help us create the space to do what is important. And that is a thing that lawyers with ADHD need all of the time. I have a favor before we go. Listen, if you are still listening, that means a few things. First of all, it means you uh, deserve my thanks. I'm so glad you're still here. And this was a long episode. I am thankful that you're here. And so I have some favors. If you're still hanging around here, three things that you can do. First, I'm really trying to get the word out about JDHD. And so if you have any connections to law firms or to organizations or to websites that would benefit from the content that we're producing here, I would really love to have an introduction to them. And if you're willing to do that, um, please do. Links, speeches, CLEs, talks, blog posts, the whole nine yards. Second, I'm going to PodFest, which is a huge conference for podcasters in Orlando in March. I am working on trying to become a great podcaster. It is really important to me. The only way I can do that is to hear from you. If you have thoughts about how this podcast is going, whether you're hearing the type of content that you want, 
whether it is the kind of thing that you could imagine continuing to listen to, I want your feedback. You can get me by email or on my phone, and you can also get me on SpeakPipe. If you go to SpeakPipe, S-P-E-A-K-P-I-P-E.com slash J-D-H-D, you can leave me a message there, and I would love to hear your voice, and I would love to hear your feedback, and um, it would mean a lot to me. And then finally, I am in the throes of designing a mastermind group for a very small group of people who are interested in beta testing a support group for lawyers with ADHD. If you're interested in putting your voice into that, please go to thejdhd.com slash mastermind survey, and we will collaborate together to build something that will work for all of us. We know this. Law is hard enough. Let's make ADHD easier. Thanks. We'll see you next week. Thank you for sharing your attention so generously. The single best thing you can do to support the JDHD podcast and this community is to help spread the word far and wide. Please tell your friends and your firms about it. Subscribe, rate, and review us in your favorite podcatcher. And please join our email list at thejdhd.com slash start. We can't wait until next time. Let's make ADHD easier. Law is hard enough.